This podcast is brought to you by the Stevens Center for Family Business, whose mission is to support the success of family business through the generations with education, networking, and collaboration. I don't want to build second-rate things. I don't want to build things for price, but we've been able to build it for a pretty good price and give people the quality. Our motto is expect more. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ordinary People, Extraordinary Things. I am your host, Cliff Duvinois. Michigan is a proud, proud manufacturing state. And today's guest, along with his family, have worked hard not only to build a business that produce awesome products, but to bring the management employees together into one hardworking, cohesive team. Today, I'm sitting with John Hall, CEO and founder of Glass Tender Incorporated, based in Saginaw, Michigan. John, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up. I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan. Been here all my life, other than the Army. You decided to go in the Army after you finished with school. No. Why did... No. I quit school. You quit school. Why did you quit school? I thought it was boring. I quit school and went to Saginaw High Night School and then lost my driver's license. So then I decided I might as well get the military out of the way. So that's why you joined the military. Right. I was reading in your book that you joined the military. You were working on missiles at the time and the army decided to ship you off to Germany. Yes. When you were on your way over there, you came up with this affirmation to do the best I can in all things while serving in Germany and afterwards. Where did that affirmation come from? Well, I wasn't getting anywhere in Detroit. I was stationed at Metro Airport, an underground missile base. Right. And like most kids, just goofing off most of the time. And then when I went to Germany on the ship going across the ocean, I decided I was going to try to do my best. And that seemed to work in my favor. But why come up with an affirmation? Just don't know why, just did. You've done your tour in the military. And when you finished that tour, you had a choice. You could have stayed in Germany or you could come back and join your father's company. Why did you decide to come back and join your father's company? I figured he was getting the age he needed some help. He was 61 when I came home. Um, I came home in the second week of May. The third week of May, I was at the restaurant show in Chicago learning the business. Let's talk a little bit about the history of your father's company. It's called EDC. Tell us about EDC. What is it about? What did they do? Equipment distributing rented ice machines in the local area. And he did that for you. When I was in school, I worked on some when I was in 16 years old. But when I came home, we took a serious look at it. And we had like 38 ice machines on rent when I came home. And after a few years, we ended up with 500 on rent. And when I first got out of that, the second year, no, 64, I developed the world's first automatic ice dispenser, which ice went to the company that we bought ice machines from. They liked it real well. I was going to give it to them, and they suggested I manufacture it. After I did that, I kind of liked manufacturing rather than out here selling. So before, were you just a reseller of these ice machines or did your, did your father have like a manufacturing? No, we were, we were a reseller. So 
that's where I learned. I went to the factory in Erie, Pennsylvania. I liked the machine real well. I liked the people real well. And I like to make things. So that's it. Was it when they told me to go back and make it ourselves? I learned about manufacturing because I had to make it back here and ship it to them. And later on, I saw a need for a glass washer. After we had 500 ice machines on rent, we were running out of ice machine customers. So we, I saw a, a straight line conveyor, glass washer, decided it was too long, took too much time. As we developed a rotary glass washer, and we sold one to the Asia Clubs in Saginaw, the second one went into Johnson's Bar in Lansing, Michigan, and we built a cocktail station for a pass-through version so the cocktail server could load it and the bartender could unload. And after that, we started building them around here, and pretty soon we ran out of customers again. So we decided to take it nationally, and that got going really well. And the equipment company was selling a lot of equipment, and we were designing bars, and we got in past just the glass washer, but now we're selling bars. And we had friends at Holsinger Manufacturing in Colin, and we designed bars and sold bars. Then that became, we decided to build more things for the bar. But I had a good friend that was out in Nevada building liquor dispensing. He was a sales manager there. And then he moved to Lake Tahoe. And I told him, gee, you can come to Saginaw. You don't have to work 12 hours a day and not be able to find something to do. And at that point, Saginaw, you know, there was not a lot going on here. We could work 12 hours and nobody missed you. But Lake Tahoe, it's a shame to work 12 hours. You got all these places to go. So Jay came back and we started pushing this thing nationally. And it started going really, really well, except that now we were, we couldn't produce enough to take care of the people. So we made a decision to go west of the Mississippi. We canceled all our dealers and went back into this half of the country to see if we could keep up with production. Because when you first start, if you get too fast, you run out of money. That's true. You know, you're working really hard and the money doesn't come in as fast as you think it should. So growth over 25% a year kind of hurts you. When I was reading your book, something caught my eye. A lot of manufacturing focuses on what's called planned obsolescence, meaning that if I get an electric razor, it might last me three or four years before it breaks down and then I got to go buy another one, right? They want repeat customers. It's just cheaper to go buy one. That's not how you do it. You had a customer in Bay City that had one of your washing machines for 50 years. Isn't that nice? Well, as a business owner, yeah, that's really nice. If I don't have to replace a machine every three years, yes. I figured if I sold everybody just once, there's enough bars to take care of us. Where did that emphasis on quality come from? I don't want to build second-rate things, and I don't want to build things for price, but we've been able to build it for a pretty good price and give people the quality. Our motto is expect more. People open the box and they'll say, gee, I didn't expect all that. So you try to take care of your customers. Customers, when you do a nice job for them, will tell other people. Yeah, they will. They're your best sales force. Yes. What I'd like to do is I would like to explore a little bit about when you first started Glass Tender, because Glass Tender started out from EDC. Yes. So why did you decide to make Glass Tender like its own separate company versus just have it be part of EDC and just keep that going? Well, in the real world, 
if you own an equipment company and you're selling to customers out there, and now you try to get other dealers to buy something from you, they don't want to do that. They want to buy from a manufacturer. They didn't want to buy from a equipment distributing. And so it just made logical sense to make Glastoner a separate company. And at that time, I brought my dad into that business with me. Right. And I worked, well, I think my employees had a paycheck long before I did. So when did you start Glastoner? 69. And you drew your first paycheck when? Uh, around 81 or two or somewhere on there. So that's 12 years before you finally were able to draw a paycheck for yourself. I know a lot of people out there would give up after a year or maybe even two. It's not worth it, but you stuck with it for 12 years. Why? Well, I think the answer is if you want to grow the business, you have to be able to put the money back into the business to be able to grow it. If you're short-sighted and you want all the money right now, you're not going to grow very far because you're going to run out of money again. I had an income from the equipment company and I worked there and my wife suffered because I worked 18 hours a day. And you tell somebody seven days a week and did that for 18 years, it pays off. During the late 70s and going into the early 80s, the economy tanked. Inflation was out of control. Interest rates were through the roof. And it seems like you guys were not immune from this effect either. And on top of that, it also seems like there was a lot of uh, internal changes that were happening, maybe some different types of decisions of the directions where the company would go. How did you get through that time? Hard work, I guess. We just kept our eye focused where we were going and kept doing it. You know, you, you started, we started looking for, and we, the change started happening. You know, after the expressways were built, chains would open up, stores would open up on every exit. And so happened that local bars weren't going as well as they should have, but the national accounts were going. So by having customers like Chili's and they had five concepts, having Outback as a customer. And I think right now we have maybe 180 or 90 different national accounts as customers, which really helps. So it seems like the, the national franchise boom in the restaurant business, the higher end of people that need to wash glasses, plates really took off and you were able to be a part of that. Right. And we, we do a lot more than just glass washers. We make back bar coolers and sinks and ice bins and soda gun holders and a multitude of things, remote beer systems. We developed a, a tremendous amount of products, which has really helped us grow. And our customers liked what we did when we were just building a glass washer and wanted us to build more things. So it was just a natural to start doing more things. Just to keep expanding the manufacturing environment. We started building underbar stainless, the sinks and the ice bins. And then we went to Florida and bought CCA Cooler Corporation mm -hmm. and shipped it back in five semis. And then later on just threw it all away because mm -hmm. we didn't like anything he was doing other than the foam technology. And, uh, their philosophy was to build something really cheap and ours was the other way around. And so that was a question like people say, well, how did you do that? Well, we had to be price conscious. So we built a cooler in the first year we lost about 
$800 a cooler. The second year, about $400 a cooler. Third year, maybe $200. And it was just volume. We had to get the volume going to be able to reduce the cost, but we had right. to have a price. So those are hard decisions to make and say, I got to sell it as a loss. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. When we come back, John is going to share with us how chinking around with cars helped Glass Tender build better products, how mentors can make a difference in your business, and how Glass Tender management and employees work together as a cohesive team. The Stevens Center for Family Business exists to support the success of family business throughout the Great Lakes Bay region of Michigan. It provides a wealth of resources that family business owners and leaders can access to leverage the unique strengths inherent in their family enterprises. The center provides educational opportunities about managing the often complicated combination of family and business, and hosts networking events where family business leaders can share their experiences and learn from one another. Drawing on experts from around the country, the center focuses on topics and issues that are unique to family business. It emphasizes best practices to achieve optimum business results while maintaining family harmony. With programs on succession planning, preparing the next generation, communication and conflict resolution, governance, family dynamics, policy development, company culture, and many more, the Stevens Center for Family Business probes subjects that are vital to family-owned enterprises. Regardless of the size of the family business or the number of years in its history, the Stevens Center for Family Business can be a valuable resource for helping to secure the ongoing legacy of multi-generational family businesses. The Stevens Center for Family Business, where networking and knowledge meet to support the success of family-owned companies, both in their business pursuits and their family relationships. For more information, please go to the website at svsu.edu backslash Stevens Center for Family Business or contact me, Casey Stevens, Membership Coordinator at 989-964-2776. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ordinary People, Extraordinary Things. I'm sitting with John Hall, CEO and founder of Glass Center in Saginaw, Michigan. John, before the break, we were talking about your penchant, really, for creating uh, really good products and taking care of the customer. What I want to do is I want to take a trip back because I know you're a car guy and you've been a car guy forever and a day and you love automobiles. You love tinkering around with them. So the first question I have for you is why not just go into cars? Why join your dad's business? Why start Glass Tender? I think the cars were more of a hobby. I enjoyed doing that. Um, people like Pretzer Garage let me come in and learn to sand cars and learn to paint cars and said, here, you can use the spray gun and all of that. And I never thought about it as a living. It was just, I like to customize cars and change them around and building my own way, but they're, they're for fun cars. They're not for a production type car. And this is something that you have been doing since high school. Yep. Before high school. Yeah. I painted my first car 
as I said, when I was 16, I bought my first car when I got out of the eighth grade, had it two weeks and traded for another car. In Germany, we had built a warhead building to put missiles together with, and I took a five-ton wrecker and a deuce and a half and used the air off the five-ton wrecker so I could paint my Volkswagen. Got some paint from the Air Force. Naturally, it was blue. (laughs) (laughs) With your hobby of messing around with cars, hot rods, how do you think that played into innovating products for Glass Sender? Well, I think that the fact that you're playing with sheet metal and things you do in the cars and things I wanted to develop there helped me develop different things for building our own equipment and helped us for dies and tools. 50 some years ago, longer than that, we developed a welding because at that time, TIG welding would go to 30 amps and the top of it was a little roll thing that you would adjust the amperage with. I wired two in series. I was able to lower the amperage down and we started doing a little tacking. Last year, I saw it on the web and they called it cold tacking. We've been doing it for years and it gets rid of the distortion. It lets you tack something together in sure. real quick hurry and develop different welding processes for here just for the sake of welding, I guess, but help build the equipment. I learned to do sheet metal work. Um, I learned to do a plumbing and electrician. And when you get into this business, remember we have, we can't just build equipment. We have to go through the National Sanitation Foundation to make sure things meet that. Uh, We have to go through UL. When I first went to UL, they were on Ohio Street in downtown Chicago. What is UL? Underwriters Laboratories. Okay. All electrical. And so now you have to learn to be able to draw wiring diagrams and make the thing safe so somebody doesn't get hurt playing with your equipment or using it, as the case may be. At NSF, they were originally headquartered at the University of Michigan. Then they moved on Plymouth Road. Now they're back at another road, but huge complex, and they do standards all over the world for people to do this. And at this day, I'm on the joint committee at the National Sanitation Foundation. And so we're one of the teams that do the final analysis, whether something's going into standards or not. So that's been another experience as a volunteer thing. Where did this spirit of innovation come from? I think once you start thinking that, I believe strongly in the subconscious mind. It doesn't know right from wrong, fact from fiction. If you plant something in it tomorrow morning, it may give you an idea when you wake up. And as you get innovative, like I've told my son Todd, he writes a lot of songs. Once he gets into one, he starts writing more songs. It's just once you start doing it, it seems to happen. I imagine you find the same thing. On more than one occasion, I've woken up in the morning with the answer to a question that I went to bed with in my head. So, yes, I agree. The subconscious is powerful. And I drive roadsters across country without a radio. So you get a lot of time to think. And we need to think more. A lot of people are so busy with hearing somebody else talk, they don't take time to think. That's an interesting... If I had more time, I would dive into that. Throughout your your career going through EDC, going into glass tender, there's a heavy influence of mentorships that you've had 
and that are part of your company today. Talk to us a little bit about the role that mentoring has had for you and on the business. Well, I would say when I first did Presser Garage, helping me learn things there, uh, automobile things, and they first helped me fix a Wizard motorbike. Nice. And then as we got going, one of my best friends was Arnie Wally Wally's Restaurants in Flint, who let me design things for him, and I made big cold tables so he could have big salad bars made for people, carving stations for meat. And I learned a lot from the restaurant industry from him and showing how a kitchen was designed to lay out food. So we designed bars so that we could be productive. And we trained people how to maximize the effort on their bar, which we termed, I think Jay termed the term cocktail life cycle, where most bars had seven steps to make a drink, but they never thought about unmaking it. So there's 11 steps when we go back and unmake the drink and get rid of the trash and ice and the well oh, waste, yeah. and then we wash the glass because it, it's a constant cycle. It just doesn't go one way. For your company, Glass Tender, your kids have grown up and now they are part of the company as well. Talk to us a little bit about having them come on board. What has that been like? Well, the boys all worked here when they were like 12. Cheap labor. Yeah. They were putting pumps together for the glass rushers and so on and so forth. And then when Todd finished with Michigan, and he was always a singer, and he had long hair, he figured nobody would hire him, <laughs> so I hired him. But I, I wanted him to come back. We, at that time, our sales were growing. We needed help. And we kind of pulled him in and said, here you go. And my daughter, Kim, had a master's in nursing. She got more into administrative. And at that time, we were going to a hiring service, and all they'd send us was the same people over all the time. And she thought we should have a more mix of people in the building. So she came over to help us start that. And we said, only going to be here a little while. And then now she, her and Todd done a tremendous job taking care of all the people. And she worries about the people. Todd worries about the sales and seems to work. Now, the question of innovation that you and I have talked about a couple of times here, not only applies to coming up with new products, but it's also with regards to your workforce, not only management, but your manufacturing employees. Like, I know you went through a cycle of trying to implement lean manufacturing, and there's been several other uh, philosophies that you have worked hard to implement here to kind of standardize your process. Where did that come from? Why not just keep things at the status quo? Well, there was a time when they talked about lean manufacturing at General Motors and so on and so forth, just in time manufacturing. Somebody delivered the thing just in time. At that time now, Kim's husband, Mark, was w with us, came on board. We had some consultants come in here and think we could build everything right now and ship it. And the idea was a good idea, but it needed about 10 years of planning for it because you had to have the right equipment. Today, when we cut metal, four days later, it's in a box leaving the building. 
We built nothing to put on the shelves because we have thousands and thousands of different models that people could order. And through a lot of work of Mark following that through, and we were putting one addition on it. Mark says, we don't need it that big. We're going to get rid of the shelves. So we end up cutting shelving down for years. And uh, it, it's everybody on board. It, if you look back when we had so many pieces, that just laying out the sheet of metal and what we were going to cut on it took a whole team of people. Where today that's all automated. We plug it in. We know what we're going to build. Every machine we build, you can push a button and break it into pieces from nuts and bolts to screws. And if we normally had a four-week lead time. So by the time we were getting ready to cut metal, it would tell purchasing if we needed this or we're going to be out of that so we could have that in the building before it was coming. But the only thing we inventory is sheet metal. So we were able to cut it and bend it. It's been a great process. But everybody... You know, Todd's worked at it, Mark's worked at it, I've worked at it, it's just all our engineers have worked at it, but with a common goal. And then years later, Todd came up with open book management, which we train our employees how to read the books to see if we're making a profit. And we need to make a profit for everybody to share in it. So if we fill a bucket, our employees get part of the bucket, which is kind of strange in, in the world, but profit's not a bad word. And Think about five guys on a basketball team that are real good, play together. Think about 200 people playing together real well. It's quite easy. That's hard for people to conceive that you would do that. But the, it zeroes in, the employee starts looking at his own area. Where is he losing money? And he knows what a bolt costs, and he's not throwing it on the floor, and he's not wasting things. So our turnover is very low. Like you talked about the open book management. That I thought was actually really slick to make them feel like, hey, you know what? We're not hiding anything from you. This is exactly where we stand. So that way you understand where you are in the company and how your individual contribution matters to our bottom line. And we try to raise people up from within. If they want to grow with us, they can grow and have other jobs. There's some people that don't want to do that. There's some people that want to grow and try different things all the time. There's other people that are more comfortable doing the same thing over and over again. Here, it's a variety of things you're building. Nobody does the same thing all day long. They're just, it's more fun to work here. Yes. It's kind of nice when your days aren't all the same. Right. So now with your, with your kids that have come on board, how have you taken a step back from doing everything? First of all, now we have two more kids on board. My son, Rick, came on board, and my youngest daughter, Christina, came on board. So they are all here. And part of the fun, they all work in different areas, so they're not competing with one another. And the whole idea is that when I came back from the service, I went back and finished my high school, got a diploma, and then I went to Delta and took business law and accounting. The idea is I figured I needed those things. Right. You know, and that seemed to help. And the kids have got a great education. And the idea is to listen to other people. You know, people look at you and they say, well, gee, I got to do this. The leading generation, we're talking about it, most of them have a hard time giving up control. And our kids have run the business for a lot of years. I just get to play around and 
R&D area make things, and it's a lot easier, but um, work where you want to work. If you're going to give up control and you're going to delegate, you got to learn to delegate. But the biggest thing about delegating, you learn to follow up on it to make sure it was done right. And then let people make mistakes. That's how they're going to learn from them. If you tell them how to do everything, they're not going to learn. They're not going to feel like a valued part of the company then either. Right. The idea is to, if you're working on a machine with me and you're going to take it over, now I want you to take ownership of it. And once it's, you have ownership of it, you're going to feel like it's yours and you're going to try hard. With ownership, there comes a certain level of pride. Yes. When you, everybody leaves here at night, they go home feeling good because they're making something somebody uses. Well, like you said, four days later, it's out the door. Yes. Uh, we primarily do a lot here for different charities. I think there's a 170 or 90 charities in Saginaw. We do, we support 150 of them. Wow. People will ask us, we send them a check and they'll say, what do you want us to do? We don't want anything because it doesn't do you any good to put us on the radio because nobody's going to know who we are and we're not going to have any customers here. But the idea is I believe the manufacturer should be the backbone of the community and it should help the community. So we've been a big supporter at Saginaw Valley at the business level there, uh, which we have our finger in a lot of things. Indeed. And Todd and Kim can tell you more than I can about that. So then actually, this is another question that I had, and I'll go back and stitch this into the interview there. One of the things that I was thinking about is, is that it seems like there is a rush when somebody goes into manufacturing, like they can't get it off to China fast enough to have it made over in China for cheaper. But as you just mentioned before, you feel that manufacturing is the backbone. Why do you feel this way? Why not send it over to China and beef up your profit margins and all that other good stuff? We've been forced to buy certain things from China. If we, we used to do investment casting in Bay City, but they couldn't keep up with us. And some of those kind of jobs that are hard automatically moved to China because people here wouldn't do them. It, it's not a case that um, we try to build everything here. We build more of our product than any of our competitors do. Um, we build our, we buy a compressor and build the rest of the condensing unit where other people buy a module that's already done. But we want jobs for here. True wealth is grown through manufacturing, period. We don't want to be a service country just buying something from someone else. You, if you want to control your own destiny, going back to look at building a glassware, I mean, an ice dispenser, I sold it to the company, but I never thought that they put much effort into selling it. So now I learned I better be able to control what I'm making. So I want to build it, control the sales of it. I learned from watching the company in Erie, Pennsylvania out. They were landlocked. So when we came here, we didn't want to be landlocked. We bought the original parcel. We bought the ones next to us on the other side and then 17 acres behind us to try not to have that happen. You should learn by other experiences. Agreed. When you talk about the term landlocked, what do you mean by that? Well, they couldn't build. They were tied in both sides. There were buildings there. They okay. built a building over the top of their building. We have plenty of land here. And the nice thing about Saginaw, we have a lot of good workers. There are people here who want to go to work. They want to make things. You know, not everybody wants to work in a restaurant business. 
So some people have to make things for the restaurant industry. And there's people that have done a great job in the restaurant industry making a ton of money. It's like, whatever you try, if you work at it hard enough, you should be all right. Find a need and fill it. John, if somebody's listening to this interview and they want to check out what it is that you're they're doing, the different kind of products that you actually offer, uh, what would be the best way for them to do that? They can go on the Glass Tender website and learn about what we do. And for our audience, just go to TotalMichigan.com, click on John's interview to get the links that are mentioned in this show. You can also see other amazing interviews that we've had with other fellow Michiganders. Take a quick second to subscribe to our newsletter. Once again, that's TotalMichigan.com. See you back here again next week for another great story. See you then.